Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Hi, this is Glenn Wexler, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcasts presents from Toronto, Canada, Muses, with your hosts, Shanti and Lynx, the podcast that celebrates the women of rock and roll. Interviews, stories, and fabulous fun. So, grab those backstage passes and let's get to our show. Hello, and welcome to Muses, the podcast about the amazing women in rock and roll. Yes, welcome. Welcome back if you're uh, one of our beloved listeners that continue to support us. It's been always, it's always great getting the messages and everything, but uh, it's, I've had a rough couple weeks and just hearing stories that you've told me and then on the Instagram and everything, those like they they do like make my day you know yeah it's awesome to think that there are other people out there who are just as fascinated and just as interested in the wives groupies girlfriends yeah and i love getting all the suggestions that people send in and we have an endless supply of inspiration that's for sure yeah when people are like hey you should cover this person the go-to answer is either they're on the list or great we'll add them to the list yeah uh, I've been excited about this one, actually. Me too. Today, I'm going to be presenting Carly Simon. Yeah. And it's after having read her memoir, Boys in the Trees. It was the second time that I read this memoir. I remember a couple years ago, you were going to do this episode, but I think maybe it was too fresh or the something. The book came out in 2015. Yeah. And I wanted, I guess, to give it a little bit of time. Yeah. And now that it's almost uh, five years old, mm-hmm. I figured, hey, let's go back to it. I enjoyed it just as much second time around. 
Awesome. Yeah, it's been on my reading list for a while, but I guess there's a reason I hadn't gotten around to it, and it's because I'm meant to hear it. Well, what's great about this, too, is I only touch on certain side stories. And if you want to go back and read about them in detail, you're not going to be disappointed. Also, the way that she writes is so poetic and so beautiful. She's a super talented woman. I have no doubt that the book is phenomenal. So we are going to talk about muses, that, of course, being... James Taylor is one, but you might learn to find that there were some people who inspired certain songs that you may know of, you may not know of, and a certain figure in her life who inspired almost everything that she did. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know too much personal stuff about her. I love her music. I know, you know, the big people that she had things with and everything, but, and of course, that her and James Taylor were muses for one another. For one another, exactly. Yeah. I love relationships like that, where you're both finding equal inspiration in the person that you're with. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely one of those stories. We have no secrets. We tell each other everything. About the lovers in our past And why they didn't last We share a cast of characters from A to Z We know each other's fantasies And though we know each other Better when we explore Some Right. Carly Simon was born to the man, well, a man and a woman, (laughs) but let's talk about the man first, who began Simon and Schuster. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. So as a book person, Lynx, you may not have known that that Simon is this Simon. I had no idea. So his name is Dick Simon. It wasn't his father or anything. It was him Mm. that started this with Schuster. Wow. It's actually a tragic story within itself. Mm-hmm. And it really does make you think differently. Like now that I do see, see a Simon and Schuster, I go, oh man, that's kind of a depressing story. Oh. He, to make a long story short, he did have it taken out from under him. Oh no. There's a very sad part in the book where Carly was invited with her children to go and see the offices. Yeah. Once her father had passed on mm-hmm. and the man sat at his desk and looked at her son and said, Something along the lines of, if your grandfather would have been smart, this could have been all yours. Like something along that. Like it's a really tragic story. And not only does it really play a huge role in Carly's development, but her father's decline. Oh, among uh, other things, which we'll get into. All right. Wow. Yeah. So we're starting off heavy. Carly was born the third child, the third girl. And since they had highly anticipated a boy, she was supposed to be named Carl. Do you know what you were going to be named if you were a boy? I only know that my mom was certain that I was going to be a girl and she had named me Andreana. 
So I was Andreana when You're I was... You're definitely not an Andreana. Well, I know. So I was Andreana when I was in her belly. She wrote it over and over again. And then I was born and she said, Chantel. Interesting. But she might not even pronounce my name like that. Yeah. Chantel. 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 Uh, and I never introduced myself that way. Yeah. So I say, hi, I'm Chantel. With, I guess the inflection is on the tell. I was supposed to be named Rory very irish rory o'leary if i was oh, gonna be wow uh, yeah it's a mouthful yeah <laughs> yeah yeah not the best and my so if mother you were a guy, if you were a little boy you would have been called called rory, rory. Okay. yeah um rory or Le- it's funny because Le- i can't even do it rory, rory o'leary. o'leary it's funny because when um gilmore girls came out of course i watched that with my dad growing up and he was always like that's not a girl's name it's a boy's name i think he was just angry that someone had thought to use it as a girl's name <laughs> and yeah. he did but he's also the one responsible for calling me Lynx. my mother wanted to call me angelica mm-hmm. Lynx it is yes anyway so carl became carl. carly yeah and she says that the um the y added on the end was just almost like a taunt you know yeah so she had two has had two older sisters joey and lucy beautiful always felt like she could never compare well her father looked at them as if they were angels and even to her she remembers her nose being a source of embarrassment for her father because it was wider at the bridge and lacked the nordic look in the women he loved like her sisters i see Mm -hmm. it's crazy how much things like that you know affect you growing up like little things aren't little when you're young you know yeah exactly she ended up having a younger brother named peter whose birth ended up sending her father into the hospital for a week from a nervous collapse and this would be several of many mental health issues her father would suffer throughout his life although of course back then they didn't have the language they didn't have the knowledge and Mm -hmm. so stressful they just watched yeah they just watched the decline her father dick simon was very tall six foot five with piercing blue eyes who she believed could do anything she thought he was a hero a king when he paid less attention to her than her other siblings she thought that it was something wrong with her Mm. as opposed to anything being wrong with him yeah her mother andrea was so beautiful that when she would come pick up carly from school Carly would pretend that she left something in her locker just so that all of her friends could see how beautiful her mother was. That's so cute. Andrea never wore makeup except for the brightest possible lipstick. (laughs) Her parents met when Andrea was working as a low-paid Simon & Schuster switchboard operator. Nice. So being the Simon of Simon & Schuster, Carly's first home she grew up in was in Greenwich Village. Yeah. Greenwich. Greenwich. If I had a dollar for every time I mispronounced (laughs) Greenwich Village on this podcast, I'd be rich. I'd be as rich as Simon and Schuster. So jealous of Carly growing up there. Oh my God. Well, prepare to get even more jealous because in the winters, they would summer. Nope. In the summer, they would spend their time in... Of course. They were, you know, Martha's Vineyard people. Well-known artists, painters, writers, musicians, and athletes were known to drop by for dinner on any given night. (sighs) 
that's my dream it's my dream right there by the end of the 50s albert einstein and eleanor roosevelt had both been over for lunch that's insane right what her father had been a pen pal of president eisenhower oh my goodness wow Mm -hmm. wow carly spent much of her time with her grandmother shibi who spoke eight languages, was brainy and original. She was very secretive about where she came from and always made time for Carly, as did her nanny and cook. Cool. Yeah. Her favorite adults, though, were her two uncles, Uncle Peter and Uncle Dutch. Uncle Peter was her first crush. (laughs) You know, you you remember those days when your first crushes were like your cousins and stuff? Yeah. (laughs) Like Tommy from the Power Rangers. (laughs) I do. Uncle Peter taught her to play the ukulele, which then led to her learning guitar. Nice. Carly thought that every single family played music and harmonized together. If only. If only. She grew up singing with her family. Her father's family was very well-rounded musically, and they would all play music and sing together on Wednesday evenings. Cool. You know, like, gather around the piano, probably a couple guitars, everybody harmonizing. Imagine. Oh, my goodness. Her sisters were, as her sisters were growing up, Joey was set on being an opera singer. Wow. Which she did eventually become. Amazing. And Lucy, a nurse, to which, I like this part, her grandmother Shibi responded, ugh. (laughs) I want to meet Shibi. Yeah. You can just imagine that, eh? Oh, yeah. Just this, like, wise old, kind of mysterious woman. And it makes sense that she had this super strong, you know, unique woman in her life growing up. Because she's such a strong, unique woman, too. Yeah. Carly originally wanted to be a baseball player since she was more of a tomboy. Cool. She says, if for some reason daddy loved Joey and Lucy best, then Uncle Peter was mine. I was his, too. I doted on Peter whenever the opportunity arose. She was never able to get her father's attention and felt a detachment from him. And like you had said earlier, how that can really be very telling and very effective from a young age this was a problem she spent her life questioning and compensating for Hmm. which as an artist was maybe a great thing in terms of material Material, but as a daughter it sounds pretty devastating absolutely yeah one summer carly started turning in on herself becoming frightened by many things such as the dark thinking about her parents death just to name a few Mm. Her throat began to spasm when she spoke. Wow. Turning into a debilitating stutter that would stay with her for the rest of her life. No way. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Her stutter led to a deeper embarrassment and lower self-esteem. Of course. Inside, she felt broken and full of self-hatred. And to this day, when Carly is tired or nervous, the stammer comes out. I have a little bit of a stutter sometimes as well i don't know if you've ever noticed but it's not something that happens often it's i think usually if i'm like super tired like she said or like nervous or excited about something Mm -hmm. like i tend to say something you know i've seen it a bit when you're excited yeah 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 one day when they were eating dinner and carly could not ask for the butter without stuttering her mother suggested she sing it this was life-changing and life-saving for her because it worked yeah It was a turning point. And instead of becoming a baseball player, Carly started thinking, maybe I'll be a singer. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Maybe she never would have become a singer if she didn't have that stutter. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. 
Carly was initiated to the world of boys, quite sadly, when she was seven years old. Oh, no. At her summer house, there was a boy named Billy, who was the teenage son of family friends who would rent a house in the neighboring town. Although Billy was quite obsessed over Carly's sister, it was she that would find herself with the 16 no 16 year old billy alone in a bathroom here or a closet there as she puts it mostly it seems he got off on having carly watch him undress okay and such this lasted for six years into her early teens wow it was so conflicting for her she says being in pursuit of such a low sneaky treacherous catch caused me to retreat even farther down inside myself, if that was even possible. It wasn't just that I didn't want to get Billy into trouble, more that I didn't want anyone to stop me or bring to light how ashamed Mm -hmm. and conflicted I felt about the way, about what we were doing. When she finally told her sisters, they accused her of lying. (sighs) Her mother banished him from the house for one summer, which of course is not the right thing to do and carly seemed you know even then that that was quite a mild reaction yeah (laughs) hello 1950s yeah wow (sighs) yeah parents not not owning up to this kind of thing i think even cause more deeper damage 100 percent, 100 percent. than if they would have never have known yeah And how can that be repaired? So anyways, Carly says that Billy was quietly stealing a part of her. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I had read something recently that said, trauma is not your fault, but healing is your responsibility. That's... And it, that's an interesting one, yeah. Yeah, and in, and she really has, you can tell, with things that she's done over the years, but mm-hmm. it just makes it so much more difficult, I think, when the people who were supposed to protect you failed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Things in the family continued to be full of secrecy and deceit. In the mid-1950s, a young man named Ronnie entered the Simon family lives. Carly's mother began a relationship with Ronnie, which Carly didn't even know about until 1960. The reason why Ronnie came into the house was because Carly's mother feared for Peter, the son, Peter's manhood in this all-female household. So she hired a young man to be a sort of companion for Peter, who is six, which is like kind of risky in itself. So where was her father? There. What? He was there the whole time. So Carly was eight at this point, and Ronnie was 19, and her mother was 42. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to read you a little bit. Please. Why was mommy so interested in this man? And why did she move him into our house? What did they have in common? I could only guess. Mommy grew up poor in a row of red brick porched houses in a lower middle class part of Philadelphia's Germantown neighborhood. Cockroaches were underfoot. Utilities and rent bills went unpaid. Mommy always seemed proud of her hand-to-mouth background. Even as Mrs. Simon, she was never a snobby, prissy, uptown brat. Never had matching table linen, silver spoons, or china with no nicks. Throughout her marriage, Mommy had done everything she could do to impress Daddy in the social circles in which they moved. Lacking easy wit, she tried to appear a woman of words, not realizing that brilliant men rarely seek out brilliant women. 
Hmm. Maybe she had enough finesse of acted out glamour of putting it on, flinging her hair back, applying red lipstick, coming up with a just so word or story in between the dessert course and the after dinner brandies. Maybe she felt bored, unappreciated, un undesired. What she didn't know was that the secret love she was about to embark on inside her husband's own house would impair daddy's health and probably even hasten his early death. Or maybe she suspected but had just stopped caring. Wow, that's a lot going on for a little kid. Yeah. Her mother began to withdraw from the family. Carly says she seemed to lose interest. Mm. If daddy had never been mine, mommy wasn't mine anymore either. Her father withdrew into his misery and into himself. Her poor younger brother, Peter, was the beard for her mother and Ronnie's relationship. Yeah, that's uh, another uh, trip to the therapist. For, that's right. Uh, <laughs> wow. In the fall of 1955, Ronnie was stationed in Germany to Carly's relief. However, this would not be the end of this relationship as her mother went to Europe in October of the same year. No way. Oh, I wonder what she was doing. Yeah. Ten days later... Carly's father suffered his first heart attack. No. He would suffer from mini strokes after that. Wow. It's like, why did they stay together? Well, you know, perhaps as the wife of such a powerful man, it was to save face. But also, I think in the end, it's the mid-1950s. Yeah. It's crazy to think of how many people back then stayed together unhappily because that's what you do. And... You know, like even in like the twenties, still it was like illegal. Yeah, to like divorce places like that's just insane, right? In the summer of 1956, Carly met a boy who would later play a huge role in her life. Huge. She went to the store with her sister, and there were two boys sitting on a porch. One of the boys, Davy, was sitting and playing the guitar, and introduced the other, who was lanky, had androgynous allure and bony teenage elegance oh my goodness he introduced him as jamie yeah when she came out of the store jamie was playing the guitar she sat beside him and she began to eat her popsicle as he was playing the guitar he turned his head and took a bite out of her popsicle <laughs> and then another everyone called him jamie but his full name was James Taylor. I had no idea they knew each other for that long. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh my goodness, this is exciting. <laughs> that summer, Carly and her sister Lucy really began to sing together. They were taught a song, Wink and Blinkin' and Nod, by the aforementioned Davy, which was a song they would eventually go on to record and find some success with. Cool. As things were spiraling with her family, Carly found solace in music. And I'll read a quote. I've got a few quotes and I do like to add them in. And the reason is because the way she puts it is so elegant. It is nice to hear it in their voice, you know, them telling their story the way they wanted it said. So, yeah. Yeah. Here's a little snippet. Ever since Ronnie had infiltrated our house, I had no idea what to do with my feelings. Feeling unloved, feeling I was plainer and less desirable somehow than my two bird of paradise sisters, feeling jealous of the attention Lucy and Joey got from daddy and from boy after boy too, upset even by the idea of mommy looking sideways with a flirtatious smile at Ronnie. The secrets, subversions, and dark spirits inside the Simon household were extremely real. 
Billy, my mother, Ronnie, I sought some kind of freedom in music, in the promise of transcendence and the idea that the purity and the innocence of a mythical god could somehow deliver me from darkness. Music to dance to, music to sing, music to play with Uncle Peter, music to listen to my father play. Hmm. That's good. And on that note, let's take a quick break. I am pumped to tell you about the Away Suitcase. I have only ever owned hand-me-down suitcases, and I can't believe that I waited so long to replace those ones, but I'm glad that I got to replace it with Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, crafted with features that make travel more seamless. Now they offer a range of essentials that solve real travel problems, so all you have to think about is where you're headed next. Because getting away means getting more out of every trip to come. No more travel anxiety. Did I forget something? None of that. Away has you covered. I got to choose from a variety of colors. And since I'm on a huge beige kick, I chose their sand color because I just pictured myself rolling it in the airport looking all chic. <laughs> it has four 360 degree spinner wheels that guarantee a smooth ride, something that none of my old suitcases had and what a difference it makes. I got the bigger carry-on, a size up from the carry-on, but it's still able to fit into the overhead bin. It has a lightweight and durable shell that's made to last for a lifetime of travel. A 100-day trial lets you try any Away product on the road, and a limited lifetime warranty means they'll fix or replace your bag if it ever gets damaged. Not only that, you get free shipping on any Away order within the US, Europe, and Australia. If you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refunds. No ifs, ands, or asterisks. <laughs> Do you want to see for yourself? You can shop everything away at their stores in New York, Austin, LA, San Francisco, Boston, Chicago, and London. I'm pretty tired of carrying around a big backpack or hoping that one of my old suitcases wheels doesn't blow off. I've taken this one to visit my mom in a cabin in the woods and I cannot wait to take it with us to our upcoming trip to Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Yeah. I'm going to feel so confident that not only is it stylish, but it's super practical and expertly designed for all of my travel needs. And links, if you run out of cell phone battery, you can borrow mine. Perfect. Yeah. Glad I'm traveling with you. I can't recommend the suitcase enough. Seriously. So for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash muses and use promo code muses during checkout. That's right. $20 off a suitcase, go and visit awaytravel.com slash muses and use the promo code muses, M-U-S-E-S, -E at checkout. That's right. Awaytravel, A-W-A-Y-T-R-A-V-E-L dot com slash muses. Ronnie eventually moved into the house. Of course he did. Right under everyone's nose. Her mother said that her father's snoring was so bad that she also had to take up residence on the oh same floor God. as Ronnie. It would have been better just to be honest about it, though. Like, not that that wouldn't have been, you know, incredibly fucked up. But like, at this point, you're rubbing it in everyone's face, lying to them. You're confusing them. Oh it's my a God. straight up cuckold. Ugh. And like men that time and that powerful too. Like, can you imagine what that did for his ego? And if he's already suffering like mental health yeah. issues and stuff, I, 
it's not really surprising that during this, I guess, he felt so helpless. Like he couldn't even be like, no, you're not going to move this guy in to my home. Yeah, that's sad. Another significant sexual experience that Carly would have Mm -hmm. came in her teens with a friend named Nora. Oh, Nora. Yes. Nora was a few years older who came to spend some time with the Simon family and wanted to, I guess, show Carly some of the things that <laughs> she had been recently taught. It was, when I, by reading the passage, it seems like quite an erotic and beautiful experience. And Carly says, I knew this was the future. This was the way I would writhe in the future. Hmm. We got into an awkward position with each other, but I imagined we were like two smaller branches of the elm, twisting and tossing and making room so that they could move against each other without breaking. Wow. Mm -hmm. So while this was happening inside, there was a hurricane brewing outside, and I believe in literature, that's what they called prophetic fallacy, Mm -hmm. when human conduct is mimicked in nature. So I thought that was really wonderful that she made sure to add that detail. Yeah, she painted the picture. Oh, yeah. As we've been discussing, depression ran in Carly's family. While she was struggling with her own needs and conflicts, wanting to be seen and desired, wanted and loved, her father had grown seriously ill. By the late 1950s, her father had changed for the worst. She stopped inviting her friends over out of fear of him embarrassing her. He was disoriented Uh. and after dinner would retreat to his piano, his playing an angry serenade to his family, to his wife and to his colleagues with their disloyalty, which was killing him from the inside out. Yeah. Poor man. Yeah. So if you want to read more about what exactly happened with the Simon and Schuster, how it ended up getting taken from him, how, yeah, the kind of crushing story, it, it's, it's in there. Okay. But for time and to make this more about Carly, we yeah. can just know that she did take this and she did internalize in it and she did move forwards with it in her life. Okay. Carly was woken up the morning of July 29th, 1960 by her mother and sister Joey. Her father had died. Oh. In a way, her father had was one of her first muses. Mm-hmm. And so when I say that the biggest muse or one of the biggest muse might be one that you didn't exactly imagine. Yeah. That's who I was talking about because she incorporated him into her identity. Of course. A lot of her struggles were his. Yeah. Shame, inadequacy, self-centeredness, ambition, and depression. Hmm. The image and ideas of him were locked inside her forever, which came out in her songs. Ideas of love, crime, secrecy, vulnerability, monsters, beasts love and longing yeah i'm gonna play a song now about her father which was released in 1983 and it's called hello big man she wore her mother's cocktail dress with saddle shoes she was pretty she was
Carly went to school at Sarah Lawrence. Mm -hmm. She still felt out of place there, starting college with very little confidence. She's still not believing she was beautiful. That's nuts. All these incredibly gorgeous women we talk about that didn't have that self-esteem. It shows you those. It it really doesn't have anything to do with what you look like. It's self-worth. Yeah. Yeah. She also didn't fit in with the girls who had money since there was very little of her father's money left. Uh, so while she grew up with that very almost bourgeois yep. lifestyle, she wasn't fitting in really anywhere at this point. The dark force she came to refer to as the beast mm-hmm. started emerging. That one that makes you feel less than, not good enough, never talented enough, pretty enough, smart enough, all that. Yeah. She describes it like this. The beast was self-conscious, fear and loneliness inside a house run by a mother and father who occasionally took their roles as parents seriously. Then and forever, the beast was my envious feelings about everything I worried about. The beast was and is whatever feels insurmountable in the moment. Mm. Its key words are enough and you should and why can't you with me falling short and feeling ashamed and exposed every single time yeah while carly was at sarah lawrence she fell in love with a young man named nick he was intellectual and ignited her interest in philosophy poetry and literature cool you know as a young relationship should yeah exactly carly played the guitar every moment she could she imitated her sister lucy who was imitating joan baez Hmm. Due to her stuttering, Carly had a very difficult time in school, but when she had to present a poem, she set it to music and brought it in to, guitar, to class with her guitar. Perfect. The class had a very positive response to this, and she began to perform in the students' lounge and in dorms. Amazing. Nick visited her from Harvard, and she began to be known as a cool and hip girl at Sarah Lawrence. Yeah, she did. Nick's father sent him an article about Francoise Hardy... Oh. Believing that the two girls looked alike. Aw. Yeah. Cool. Carly started to spend more time in Greenwich Village. And around this time, Carly and Lucy began to sing and perform as the Simon Sisters. Yes. Ah, I'm in it. I'm in it. (laughs) They ended up getting representation, signing a contract with Harold Leventhal's company. Fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at young relationships, her relationship with Nick was on the rocks and she found out he had been cheating on her. Mm. She didn't break up with him right away, again, because when you have low self-esteem and self-worth and you can kind of be talked into things, he had maybe told her something on the contrary, she believed him. Anyways. When you're young, you, everything is difficult to navigate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even when you're old. (laughs) Yeah. Life. <laughs> the Simon sisters released their first album, Winkin', Blinkin', and Nod. Yeah. Carly enjoyed her newfound status on campus thanks to an appearance that the sisters made on Hootenanny. Oh, yeah. At this time, Nick went to Europe and Carly visited him overseas. They lived together in France for some time. It's like such a sweet story if you go back and, and you read the book. And there, Carly ended up becoming very ill. She would wake up in the middle of the night shaking violently. Oh, no. She went back home, saw a doctor. Not much got figured out. She was worried about her mental state. She was worried, is the same thing going to happen to me as it happened to my father? It was very traumatic. It wasn't until after she was broken up with Nick Mm -hmm. and he came back to New York and they went out for dinner together, like a friendly dinner together. They ordered the same wine that they had always had in France. She had it. No made her way. sick she was allergic 
Wow. So that actually ended up being yeah. more about she was just allergic. Yeah. Yeah. Carly did not end up returning to Sarah Lawrence and instead went to England with Lucy to work on their music career. Nice. Carly fell in love with an English na- man named Willie. Of course. And I mean, everybody should fall in love with an English man or have an affair with an English man at some point in their lives. Agreed. There's a pretty funny story in the book about how on the boat trip back to America, they saw Sean Connery getting on. <laughs> so what they did was they wrote him a note. No way. And he ended up calling them. No way. There was a pretty funny sisterly rivalry. They spent the next few days trying to impress him and they ended up spending quite a bit of time with him. Oh, he must have loved that. Well, so much so that he did try to have a threesome with them Ew. but when they did turn that down he was still extremely polite <laughs> a full circle moment came when carly would write the song nobody does it better for the spy who loved me in 1977 yeah, that's right but right now in 1965 her beast was tormenting her and her sister lucy would sneak out and spend the last night on the ship with sean no way leaving carly alone her oldest sister joey was a part of the New York Opera Company, nice. saving, savoring her own musical success. Carly was being encouraged to go solo, and in 1966, a day before her 21st birthday, she received a phone call from Bob Dylan. Oh my God. She met up with him in person, and he, rem- he recommended that she record the song, Baby Let Me Follow You Down. She also met Robbie Robertson who helped her arrange the song to suit her voice, and they had a few drinks and a nice flirtation. Unfortunately, the song ended up getting sabotaged by, she thinks, the producer of the song, who she doesn't name, but like a creepy old man Uh, guy figure who tried to sleep with her. Like, if you're nice to me, I'm going to be nice to you kind of thing. So when she ran out of the room, turning down his advances, she later came to find that the song had been arranged completely out of her pitch. Two uh, keys too low, which she think was yeah something he did. Of and course, the track was shelved. That's unfortunate. At twenty two years old, Carly was depressed and she was starting to gain weight, so she was having kind of a tough time. But then she also ended up meeting one of her best friends, who ended up being a lifelong friend named Jake. She was working at a summer camp teaching girls to play the guitar. Cool. Her and Jake began to write songs together and would continue to do so for many years. Nice. Later, when Carly was married, Jake was one of the few people invited to her wedding. Cool. So Carly's music career is is still gaining momentum, mm-hmm. and she is still writing music and performing. Enter Mick Jagger. Please enter. Then Mick walked in. One expects superstars to be altogether too large to fit through ordinary doorways, but much to my disappointment, Mick entered the room with utter ease. <laughs> My first impression was that he was like a diminutive version of Mick Jagger. He was my height, with narrow shoulders and an extremely lean chest. Hmm. I found him sexy, not just from the get-go, but way before the (laughs) get-go. He was like a life-sized doll, with a generous but small painted face, neat, correct, at once plush and angular. After greeting his bandmates, Mick ambled through the locker area into one of the stalls while Keith and Danny continued jamming. Hmm. Besotted by Danny's new instrument, the boys were as cool as can be, whereas I was all smiles. Jagger was in the room! (laughs) Right away, I could tell that, for Mick Jagger, all women, including me, were his by divine right. 
Women existed to frame him, impress him, shimmer for him, illuminate him, jog themselves helpfully into his peripheral vision, a fast-click snapshot Mick might take out of the corner of one eye for future purposes and dalliances. Hmm. By now, Mick was huddled with Bill Wyman and Charlie Watts. I can't remember if Mick even glanced at me that night, but my memory is he didn't. That would come later. Ugh. Ugh. That was a great description of Mick. Seeing Mick arose something very powerful in Carly. He really inspired her. When she danced, she tried to be like Mick. Carly would have relationships with men throughout these years, but unfortunately, Mick was never one of them. Yeah. But you know who was? Uh, I know a couple of them, but I don't know who you're going to go with next. Jack Nicholson. Oh, I was going to say Warren Beatty. That's coming very soon. Yeah. So Jack Nicholson, it was funny because at this time she was calling herself promiscuous in a a diary entry. I would definitely go there with Jack Nicholson. She had a great time with him and it ended up amicably. And for the full story, you can read it in her book. Oh, I can't wait. I'm definitely picking this book out. She was (laughs) wasted the first time they got together. like i think he went over to her house and she was like do you want some coffee and he was like do you drink coffee in bed and she said they just like had a blast yeah he seems like he would have been a lot of fun yeah yeah in 1970 carly made her first solo album yeah it ended up being it ended up being called carly simon there's a pretty funny story about the cover art of that Mm -hmm. if you look at the back there's a photo of carly and it looks head-on However, that photo was taken when she was lying down. Oh, no way. And what the photographer, whoever did, was take the photo and make it so she, it so she's looking straight Upright. forward. But it ended up making her face look even more like Mick Jagger. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, we know Mick loves women who look like Mick. Yeah, and in that photo in particular, it was a very Jagger vibe. Yeah. But it was actually from almost the gravity of yeah. how she was lying. Interesting. So if you go and look at that album cover and you look at the back... I will. That's not the angle of how that photo was taken. Cool. And I think it was like her brother or something who took the actual album cover oh, photo. Nice. Yeah. Someone else's album was constantly on Carly's turntable at that time. James Taylor's Sweet Baby James. Yeah, I was wondering when uh, when James was going to pop up again. When she saw a cartoon drawing of him on Time magazine, she said, I'm going to marry him. <laughs> she was right. Yeah. She would. Her album was released in 1971 to some very good reviews. She opened for Cat Stevens at the Troubadour. Oh, imagine that show. It was five nights in all, two shows a night. Amazing. She also met the charming Chris Christopherson. Oh, my goodness. And she was mesmerized by him. I would be too. People were crowded in Carly's dressing room at one point, and since she had to go on, everyone cleared out except for one man who was sleeping on the couch. Who was sleeping on the couch? James Taylor. Yay! They, he woke up, they talked briefly about the vineyard, and then the door opened. Joni Mitchell, his girlfriend at the time, said... James, we have to go now. Ooh. And Carly wouldn't see him again for seven months, although she thought of him often. Wow. Now, what I didn't know was that Joni was with James when she wrote Blue. I had no idea either. And Blue was inspired by James. What a man he must be, huh? Joni ended up giving 
James mm-hmm. hand-drawn lyrics to songs on that album with um, pictures that yeah. she had drawn as well. Wow. And Carly said that, unfortunately, like some things that she had given to close friends for safekeeping no. ended up disappearing. No. So they no longer have those. That's so upsetting. Those things. Yeah. But I mean, how could she know then to put that of shit course. in a fireproof lockbox? <laughs> right. And hide it. Wow. While in New York for a Carnegie Hall concert, Carly invited Cat Stevens over for dinner. Ooh. They had gotten to know each other in LA. She had listened to Tea for the Tiller Man over and over and over and over again. Of course. For dinner, she made chicken with cherries in a cream sauce and bought a very nice wine. Chicken and cherries. Hmm. I, it's, I don't know. I like the in a cream sauce. Yeah. I like the idea good. of it. I like it. I've never heard of it. I like the idea of it. But he was late for dinner. He was very late for dinner. No. The whole time she was waiting for him, she wrote the song Anticipation. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. The song was finished when he arrived. She didn't dare play it for him, though. Of course. They became lovers for what she calls a very fine but short while. Mm. It felt astral. Wow. They made a connection that lasted. And so now we're going to listen to Anticipation. Man, that's so cool. Yeah, wasn't it? I have no, I had no idea about that either. This is uh, very enlightening. This is fun, right? Yeah. All right. So let's learn some other things. Please. Let's talk about Warren Beatty. Yeah. In the summer of 1971, Carly Simon met Warren Beatty. Yeah, she did. I'm going to read to you that. Please. That meeting. I'm also a big Warren Beatty fan. So give it to me. When my charisma was at an all-time high, I had a visitor backstage at the Troubadour. In between shows during my first week opening for Cat Stevens, Warren came into my dressing room with a feigned shyness. He was affecting a touch of the old, aw shucks, attitude. As he saw there was no one else around, he closed the door. He got very close to me, looked into my face, and looked down at my breasts, (laughs) braless, and curved bravely in an insinuating shape under my chamois shirt. He said, Can I see you? I knew who he was, of course, before he introduced himself. In actual fact, there was no one who could match him. What a glorious specimen of man. He put them all to shame. If looks and charm were what you were after, he honed in like a tracking dog. It was (laughs) mysterious because it worked and it shouldn't have. (laughs) Now, when I say it worked, I mean it was irresistible. He had to have me as a notch in his belt. A belt where the greats could mix warmly with the rich, the famous, and the fair. Wow. Mm-hmm. Warren. She says that he was such an actor that he could convince himself that he was vulnerable. Yeah. He remembered the names of her family members. He paid real attention. 
They made love like in the movies. <laughs> Warren was a professional. She started to talk herself into being in love. Oh no. But one day when Carly was in a session in a therapy session, she mentioned that Warren had left her house that morning. Uh uh-uh. If you can believe it, the doctor like turned pale oh, no. and informed her that she was not his only patient that day to have spent the night with Warren Beatty. No! Oh my goodness, Warren! Wow. Wow. Learning from your therapist? Wow. Who also had a, a patient who was also sleeping with Warren Beatty. Fuck, man. Well. And he was like, I probably should, like, I'm breaking the yeah. rule by telling you this, but. Wow. What a reveal. My what goodness. a reveal. <laughs> Carly went to a James Taylor show not too long after that and was brought into his dressing room between sets. When they had a chance to speak, Carly said, If ever you want a home-cooked meal while you're in New York, I'd love to make lunch for you. To which he replied, What about tonight? Mm. That night, James asked to lie down on her bed. He was tired. She says, It was the nicest contact I could ever know, could ever have asked for or even remember. We were the same length in limbs. He was four inches taller in his torso, which was much longer than mine. But it felt as though a manufacturer of bodies had copied our limbs and made them a perfect double. This was the chest I yearned to lay my head on. She had already loved him. She had spent the year before harmonizing to every song on Sweet Baby James. She says, James was my muse. There are different characteristics in the sounds that notes make when they are played together. That's what we were. Just two notes. Wow. How magical. They soon moved in together. After that night, they were together. Yeah. She was the romantic one. He was no frills down to earth. They spent much time together in his shack in the vineyard, which they were always updating, changing, making better, renovating, always fixing up. There was always something to work on. For her, being with James was a decision, but rather, she says, it wasn't a decision, but rather a magical predestination. (laughs) Not only were they linked through their love and music, but also they were both very troubled. Mm -hmm. He had a duality, and she accepted it in him as she had accepted it in her father. Yeah. In 1972, at a party for Amit Erdogan, Mm -hmm. that name is familiar. Oh, yes. President of Atlantic Records. Familiar name. Carly ran into Mick Jagger again. She says, naturally, I flirted with Mick. I mean, who wouldn't? Mm -hmm. If a woman didn't flirt with Mick, it only meant that she had a cold sore or she'd been (laughs) brushed off by him already. (laughs) He would walk by her and stare. They found themselves alone by the pool. Nothing happened. He had just married Bianca, but she says, when I was with Mick, I became the woman who was attractive to me. He made me feel fantastic. Mm. On a good night, James didn't give me one half of the energy Mick was giving to me. I always had to meet James halfway or more. Mm. Mick was all there and present. Wow. She'd had some telephone calls from Mick after that, which likely made James upset, but he didn't say anything about it. What he did tell her or rather show her was that he had been using heroin for some time, which kind of makes sense. I'm tired. Can I lie down on your bed? Yeah. He was passed out on her couch when she met him, but she had no idea. Wow. So he actually shot up in front of her. Oh my God. Because he believed that if he, if she saw him do it, he would stop. He threw it away, but sadly that would of not course. be the end. 
that's not how you kick a habit. <laughs> Around this time, Carly was working on the song Ballad of a Vain Man. Yes. So we're going to talk about how the song came to be written because there are some varying... <laughs> there are some varying accounts out there. Yes. Lynx is laughing because <laughs> the cat just let out a huge snort. <laughs> When she was replacing vocals on You're So Vain, there were some other people down the hall cutting tracks. Mm -hmm. None other than Paul and Linda McCartney. Wow. She says that they were dressed like they had just come from the country. Of course they were. Harry Nilsson was also there visiting friends. Yes. She describes Harry as being handsome and tall. Oh, Harry. And while they were all there hanging out, she got a call at the studio and the voice said, is this Carly? And it was... Wait, let me try that again. Hello, is this Carly? Mick was on the phone. Of course. How did he find out she was there? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But he was invited into the recording studio. And that's how he ended up on vocals. Amazing. So originally, Harry was going to sing with her. And then as soon as Mick came in, he was like, you guys don't need me. Yeah. And then he promptly went and made himself a drink. Interesting. So I'm going to read to you the account of what it was like to be in the recording studio with mick perfect yeah that's so crazy that harry almost had the gig almost it was shortly after midnight mick and i we were close together the same height same coloring same lips i could feel him eyes wide on me I felt as if I were trying to stay within a pink gravity that was starting to loosen its silky grip on me. I was thrilled by the proximity, remembering all the times I had spent imitating him in front of my closet mirror. So the producer had said, Mick, step back just a bit. Your voice cuts more than Carly's. Try doubling your parts and stand a little further away, both of you. And then she says, the farther away we stood, the closer we got. Hmm. Electricity. That's what it was. I wanted to touch his neck and he was looking at my lips. The electricity was raw and hardly disguising its power. Having sex would have actually cooled things off. Wow. I love that. Yes. I love that. Shortly after that happened, James got a call from Bianca Jagger and she had said, you know that Mick and Carly are having an affair. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, James had said, no, they're not. I trust Carly. And that was, Good. yeah, I Good trust my him. wife to be that was that. And then another thing about the song, You're So Vain and Ballad of a Vain Man was she talks in her book about how when she was with a friend of hers, a man had walked into a party and it was a friend of her that said, did you see him? It looked like he was walking onto a yacht. Yeah. So she scribbled that down. Nice. She was on a plane with someone once and she had a coffee and the person sitting beside her said, it looks like you have clouds in your coffee. Mm. She wrote it down. Yeah. And so she would refer back to these notebooks and then try to put things into the song. Smart. So let's listen to You're So Vain. I had some dreams. They were clouds in my coffee. This song is just so good. You can't not sing along, you know? Got that right. On November 3rd, 
James and Carly married at City Hall in New York. Things were fine for a while in their marriage, but there were problems. Pain, turbulence, and it didn't help that they were both famous singers, musicians, and performers. She says that their love became bipolar, switching from love to loathing and then back again sometimes in the same day. Yeah. He released Don't Let Me Be Lonely Tonight, while she released You're So Vain, and for the first time it seemed like they were in competition. Mm-hmm. In a weird psychological turn, her mother was relaying to her that both of her older sisters were ruined because of the overnight success of their sister Carly. What? So she couldn't even enjoy that. That's so... Oh, my God. Like, really? She felt guilty. Ah. And for her to come out ahead of her sisters, for her just seemed senseless and wrong so many women feel guilt for their success none of us should her mother even took carly out of parts of her will saying that she wouldn't need the money anymore what and then james was just shifting into coldness (sighs) so it's like you think fame fortune riches amazing fairy tale what more could you want and then meanwhile you see like yeah like her life is crumbling it's not so simple in 1973 carly found out that she was pregnant James was off and on drugs at one point, super sensitive to the point where like he couldn't, they couldn't even touch feet in bed. Wow. Yes. And a good explanation can be found kind of how he was acting, what his demeanor was like in her song, I've Got My Mind on My Man. Hmm. So we'll play a little clip of that now. Sometimes he's sleeping. Waiting for their daughter Sally to be born, James had written a song called Sarah Maria. Well, the moon is in the ocean and the stars are in the sky, and all I can see is my sweet Maria's eyes, oh Sarah, Sarah Maria. Mm. So they found a muse in their daughter as well. They were writing together about their family life. They did have beautiful times amongst the hard times, and because no one puts it better and more beautifully than Carly... I'm going to read about them creating the music together. Great. You know, we're muses. We're all about all about the muses. So let's let's learn a little bit about that. With James, that thing, that diversion from the pain of life lay strongly and squarely in the music that surrounded us and that he and I sang and played. James's music gave me grace. It gave me inspiration. Witnessing his creativity, his writing, his singing, his playing guitar was something I never took for granted. Those times we could sing together and make harmony or join in a melody in a different octave were like a gift from some other dimension. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? She's, she has such a way with words. I know. Oh, I love it. 
Parenthood didn't get in the way of their writing, singing, and touring. They had their second child, a son named Ben, in January of 1977. For Carly's music, she had hits here and there, but her albums weren't doing as well in the charts as they once had. She retreated into domesticity and motherhood. And unfortunately, because Ben was very ill, she was very focused on that. And Mm -hmm. that, I can only imagine takes a strain in a relationship as well for sure when you have a very ill child and you're parenting them you have a husband who is addicted to drugs like it's, it's a just lot. caregiving and it's yeah. just burnout and it's awful carly says that she didn't know any rock and roll men who didn't cheat on their wives hmm. and sure enough james was no different he began seeing someone and Carly did find out. It took her a while, but then she took it, accepted it, and began an extramarital affair herself with Scott Litt, her engineer. Mm. Her and James made and missed appointments with marriage counselors. There's a pretty devastating but also beautiful part in the book where Carly goes into the house where the other woman lived Mm -hmm. and confronted her. Wow. But she confronted her in a way that was also confronting the beast inside of herself, Mm. kind of staring it in the eye. It was not really what you might expect. Interesting. Very cool. Interesting. As we know, you know, these kinds of lifestyle isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Even when you are a beautiful, talented singer, performer, with a handsome and talented husband, two kids, a home in New York City, one in Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. It just doesn't always That doesn't mean equal life happiness. is perfect. Yes. Right. Carly became ill. She lost a lot of weight due to the stress of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, her son's health ended up recovering because it was just an issue with his kidneys that needed surgery. That's good. She realized that she did suffer with depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking back that that worry lump in her belly, which ended up manifesting into the stammer, the beast, the issues that her father faced, they all had a name, a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. She speaks openly about how some years she never cried. She never sang around the house. She couldn't sit through a movie. All the while trying to help James through his depression and trying to be the peppy one of the two. Yeah. Wow. Not surprisingly, they separated and eventually divorced. Mm-hmm. Carly says that she was on different medications on and off during the years, which helped. Her family helped. Her children helped. Her home helped. And when she wrote the book in 2015, not much had changed from where she lived. She still stayed in the same home, the same bed that her and James used to share. Wow. Since their divorce in 1983, Carly has had relationships that have come and gone which are a grateful part of her memory. She has forgiven James and thinks of the happy, unhurtful memories full of joy and music. The vineyard will always be home for her. Mm. She says that there will always be boys in the trees, whether it's her son or her grandson now. Carly was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1994. In 1995 and 1998, respectively, she received the Boston Music Awards Lifetime Achievement and a Berklee College of Music Honorary Doctor of Music degree. Cool. Go, Carly. She's also written several children's books. Oh, I didn't know that. Just this month, she released her latest book, Touched by the Sun, My Friendship with Jack, which is about Jackie Onassis Kennedy. No way. Yeah. So that was just released in October. Cool. So you can go ahead and and read that and I'm going to pick it up myself and give it a read. And definitely going to go through this book and read some of those uh, deeper details. This was great. Uh, I learned so much about her and uh so many fun random stories too like ah she's such a magnificent woman we're so lucky we get to talk about these people i know 
I feel the same way. Well, everybody, if you would like more of this and more muses, you can head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash muses podcast. We have some really fun episodes full of music, full of laughter, full of our own little secrets that we uh, divulge. So head over there. And if you'd like to listen to any other music related podcasts, head over to our network. Yeah. Pantheon Podcasts. There's so many new podcasts up there now. I think we're close to like 25 mm-hmm. or so. And each one is really interesting. So there's yeah. one all about the band. Yeah. There's one uh, dissecting Almost Famous, the movie. Almost Famous Minute. Yeah. Minute by minute. Um, we're going to be making appearance on that uh, later on. Yeah. Towards the end of the movie. Yeah. So, so much to uh get caught up on and check out miss p of course has her podcast there too and pamela debar's pajama party yeah she recently interviewed moon zappa yeah so cool and thank you so much for presenting that that was a wonderful episode you did a magnificent job of telling carly's story thanks i had a blast i really enjoyed it yeah me too all right on to the next one on to the next all right everybody thank you so much um We love you. Thank you for your support. And we'll see you next time. Produced by Chantal Lemieux and Lynx O'Leary and is part of the Pantheon family of podcasts. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at pantheonpodcasts.com. All songs can be found wherever you get your music. Please download and purchase these great and important tracks. Come find us at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods or see us at R&R Archaeology on Instagram. Hey, diggers. This is an announcement. Episode 18 is on the way. We are in the final polish. All the bodywork, sanding, and the paint has been put on this rocket ship, so we just need that final coat to finish. Coming out of the last few episodes of the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast that concentrated on specific geographies like London, LA, San Francisco, and New York, we are now in the home stretch of our time in the 1960s. And so with this one, It's not about a place on a map, but a year in the life. It's called Episode 18, 1969, and it's a year so big in rock and roll, it'll take two episodes to tell the full tale. 
Part one will cover mostly the first half of the year. We'll spend most of our time in the UK checking in with the Beatles as they are beginning to fray internally while friends and competitors, the Rolling Stones, are about to become the greatest rock and roll band in the world. Of course, the Fab Four are still able to be the Beatles, so therefore they are not going down without a fight. And the Glimmer Twins must make a sacrifice to achieve the greatness of that 68-73 to 73 run of Peak Stones. Then we go beyond England and America and venture into outer space where we dissect the moonshot and how it affected society and the arts. So, like the sci-fi that surrounds the very real human endeavor, we will peek into the future ourselves with some rock and rollers that will really take us into the next decade. So hold tight. It won't be long now. It's coming, and we think you will all be pleased. Episode 18, 1969, Part 1. Tell a friend. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 